0: I
1: bet you think I'm kinky, right?
2: Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle, it's John Lamoureux. All right, this week we get to hear from another favorite of mine, it is Hoodoo Guru's frontman, Dave Faulkner. Now, regular listeners have probably heard me beat the drum for this band several times over the years. I think Dave especially, well the band is amazing, Dave is the primary songwriter. I think he is a craftsman in a league of his own. I think he's one of the best there ever is. Not just in terms of the songs that he writes, but his voice, his impassioned voice. I love it. In the 80s and into the early 90s, they were mainstays in America anyway on college radio. They had hits like uh, Bittersweet, What's My Scene, Good Times, uh, Come Anytime, Baby Can Dance. This track right here, Miss Free Love. I am especially a huge fan of their first five albums. And then uh, after that, it kind of started to slow down, at least from the States anyway. And honestly, in the last 20 years, they have not been that active. I think there's only two albums of new material released in the last 20 years. And so this is, as an American who loved them back in the day and doesn't hear about them often enough and they never come here to tour, i you know, in keeping with the theme of this podcast, I get concerned, Are my, is my favorite band doing okay? Are these guys, are they paying their bills? You know, are they happy? Are they being, getting the respect they deserve? And luckily, Dave was very open to addressing all of those things. In fact, I, I never do this and I didn't plan it this way, but we get almost right into the business side of everything right off the bat. And luckily, back home in Australia, they're treated, it seems, like kind of the legends I think they are and that they deserve to be. So we get into all of that. We also, as a follow-up to last week, touch on uh, his unfortunate negative experience with Mark Opitz in production of their third album, Blow Your Cool. So there, we, we get his side to that story. As I mentioned before, I didn't plan it that way. My intent, I am not trying to pit anyone against each other. It's just by actual pure coincidence, I happened to talk to Mark, and then a few months later, well, six weeks later, or two months later, Got the opportunity to talk to Dave. I had no idea that would happen. It just worked out. So anyway, if you're already a fan of the hoodoos, hopefully you learned some new things here. If you're not, hopefully you get turned on to some of the best music there is. I love these guys. Dave called me from his home in Perth.
3: Now, I, uh, I normally go back in time on, to kick off these interviews, but for you, I want to know what the Hoodoo gurus are working on now, if anything. As an well, American fan yeah, of sure. yours who has loved you for 30 years, your new mirror, new output is so few and far between that I'm curious, you know, are we going to see any more? Are those days over? What What is in the works, if anything?
0: I've got to be honest, there's nothing in the works at, at this moment, but um, we're hoping to kind of get ourselves up to that sort of, you know, the starting blocks of that. We've had a bit of problems recently with uh, our drummer Mark Kingsmill. He's been with us since 1984, yeah. uh, so pretty much most of our career. And he basically he retired about three years ago from the band. He, he just decided he had enough of touring, and he's got a lot of different things. That he has cancer, correct, yep.
3: or some some health? No, problems. no, he
0: doesn't. No, he does. Oh, no, he doesn't have health problems. He does okay. have some, you know, mental issues where you know he just he, he, it. Which, which, stop, inhibit him from enjoying touring and things like that, which, you know, okay. personal little foibles that, uh, you know, have started to kind of really weigh on him, I think. It. And uh, and he's just had enough, you know, he, he wants to stop. So he, he did leave the band about three years ago, and he was gone for about nine months or so. Then he came back because he uh he did some, I believe one of the reasons was because he spent a lot of money on a kitchen renovation which <laughs> <laughs> it was more than more than expected as these things always are. So he decided yeah. to come back and play and we actually, you know, we we played for about we're well, still with the band right now, but he's now saying again he wants to hang it up and, and stop. So mm. he's been very much against us doing any new music for quite a long time. He doesn't want mm. to do much touring and so when you do a new record
1: mm mm-hmm.
0: That in, in you know, inextricably, you have to tour a lot. This is part yeah. of the whole you know, lo- logic of making a record. You've got to go out and promote sure. it and make people aware of it and also you know, give us to give the music a shot.
1: Mm-hmm. So,
0: um, he doesn't want to do that, he doesn't want to tour that much. So, he's been very much against it. And we kind of you know, we love his drumming and you know, he's part of the band for so, so long that we've kind of been a little bit held hostage by that.
3: Yeah, shoot. So, so what do you do in that situation? So now he,
0: he, well. Well, all we can do is try and find a replacement, which is easier said than done. You know,
3: it's yeah. so
0: much a part of our sound, and, and totally, we did have yeah. uh, we had a drummer uh, fill in for him. You know, as, as we say, when he thought when he thought he'd quit the band, and that drummer was really good, but wasn't quite right. And mm-hmm. you know, we were starting to get a little bit feeling a bit frustrated by the fact that we felt uh, less than ourselves. We felt a little bit sort of underpowered, or, or yeah. dumb, wasn't right. And so when Mark came back, we were very relieved. So you know, we were try—we we really wanted that to work, and to, for him to stay involved as much as possible. But it's just not going to happen. He just really wants mm. to go, and we really have to look again. So we're in that in that search right now to find a drummer that we hope can fill his shoes. Which is, as I said, easier said than done.
3: Yeah. Oh, that's too bad. So honestly, you know, this is an honest question. I mean, as I mentioned, we kind of tried to sensitively touch on some of the. The, the business side of the music industry and how artists like you maintain livings for years and years and years when you're in this situation sure. and you're not putting out, you know, no one buys new albums anymore anyway and act like yours, <laughs> I'm guessing you're able to play probably wherever and whenever you want in Australia, it, maybe Brazil, but maybe not in other certain other parts of the world where it's worth your time and effort financially what seriously do you do? How do you pay your bills at a time like this? <laughs> yeah, you know?
0: yeah, well, I'm gl- I'm glad you're worried about our our, uh, our budgets, but no, we're fine. As you say, okay, we 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 had very big success in Australia. We were you know pretty much sure. a top forty pop act, you know, in in our time and and uh, for a long many 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 years. And our songs resonate still to this day with uh, people. I mean, obviously we. We appeal to an older demographic mostly, but there was, at the same time, there are younger audiences that are discovering us through their parents or just through themselves, through mm-hmm. you know YouTube or whatever. And uh, only a couple of weeks ago, we finally allowed our music to be streamed for the first time. So we're mm-hmm. to, to open those doors to, to you know to mm-hmm. newer listeners if, if that uh, should happen. But we do, uh, you know, we can we can play in Australia to, and get lots of you know. Money for those of performances, you know, we headline big festivals and whatever, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and some corporate events, whatever, you be know, sure will shell out quite a bit of money for us. So okay, it's quite uh, it's quite uh, lucrative. But um, you good know, we love playing as well. So so we we do as much as we can, but that Mark will allow. Uh, yeah, he yeah. says no to a lot of gigs as well, as I said, because he doesn't want to particularly play that much. But as I said, we're hoping that we'll be freer to do more. But as okay. far as financially, we're not in any we're not in any Good. great uh at the moment. We you know we've, okay. got, we've got enough money to pay ourselves a couple years and do nothing if we wanted to. So Good. we're we're sitting we're sitting pretty financially that way. But nice. obviously musically, creatively, they're the things that we care about and and uh, you know, we all the rest of us, you know, the three of us, we do love playing and, and we mm-hmm. have nothing else better we'd rather do. Um
1: mm-hmm.
0: and making a new record is be part of that. So I think mm-hmm. if we find a drummer, that would be a very liberating thing for the three of us. You know, obviously, sure. yeah, I can imagine. The, good, the band as it was, but, but you know, we'd have to accept that that's what's going to happen anyway. Mark is moving away from playing at all. And uh, it's right. a matter of time before he does, before he
3: does say, you know, that's it. And uh, yeah. we'll have to accept that. Okay. See, this is, that's why I, I mean, I don't normally just start right out of the gate with those kind of questions, but I want to because, <laughs> but as a, as an American obsessive Hoodoo Guru fan who has loved you for 30 plus years, and we hear from you so rarely over here, unless it's, you know, songs yeah. on, like, alternative or college radio, not Top 40 radio, you know, then you... Yeah, t- and sure. when you guys, uh, you know, you you, re- you release less music. We don't hear from you very often. The thinking is, how yeah. can a g- Someone like me, how can a guy like Dave Faulkner, who's one of the best that's ever done this, how can he not be putting more music and goodness out into the world? And what you're telling me is really calming me down and, and, uh, you know, it's warming my heart to know that you guys, at least in Australia, get the, the respect and the attention that you deserve because I want you to, I want that for you, you know? I want to know oh, that. Oh, thank Dave you. Bauchner, that... I do. I, I don't mean to sound weird, but I, <laughs> I want to know that Dave Faulkner is you know, taken care of because he deserves it. Above and beyond many
0: times no, so. We're fine, we're fine. I mean, you know, as I say, we we could have been a little more proactive, you know, but at the same time, you know, we don't really want Mark to go. So
1: that's sure. sure. So maybe
0: I'm using that as excuse to be a bit lazier or you know, let things, you know, just slide. But you know, we okay. it's very kind of you to say those nice things about, you know, uh, you know, what you think about our music and so forth. When it's always hard to be on Facebook for example, you know, because people are always asking us and you, you know, raised the question earlier about you know when will you come back to the states or yeah. back to Europe, you know, Sweden or whatever. And yeah. we are, we keep saying we'd love to be able to do that. We we hope that someone will sort of you know throw out a festival invitation because it's very expensive for a band to leave Australia anyway. You know, the, yeah. the airfares are insane. At the, yep. they're incredible. The airfares, and then. You, know, you bring any crew with you and so forth, you just double everything and it's just really hard. And so we need some kind of high-profile things like give you us know, a couple of festivals that you know,
1: mm-hmm.
0: can pump up more than just a couple of thousand dollars to get yep. us on the bill, you know, and, and that would just make life so much easier for us. And then we could actually can contemplate doing a few club shows and things like that while we we're there. But getting that, that momentum is very difficult. And yep. as I say, on top of that, Mark doesn't want to do that. Mark mm-hmm. literally doesn't want to tour anywhere other than than where it's convenient and easy. Yeah. He doesn't like traveling. And it's really, this is not just a, a mood thing. It's actually something quite deeply felt in him. He just doesn't want to do that at all. So mm. we try to sort of humor people and say, we're going to come back when we can and if we can. But I know right now that just not going to happen. But right. if we get another drummer, anything could happen. Cause we would love to do all that. And we're not as, you know... We're not precious about it. We don't have to come in as stars and, you know, be traded and, you know, have sure. people throwing confetti rose petals under our feet. Right.
1: But, you know, we, do,
0: we obviously don't want to lose a fortune at the same time. So that's, that's sure. the only sort of question, really, is, is making it pay. But, yeah. you know, making a profit's not a big deal for us. We, we can make a profit at home. But right. we just don't want to lose our shirts.
3: But, sure. yeah, okay.
0: my, most most importantly is the fact that we really haven't got the ability to even ask those questions right now. So
3: yeah. when we get a yeah. drummer of
0: that, you know, we can trust to uh, come with us and do what needs to be done. Then then we can certainly start to really knock on doors and and try and make Good. things happen.
3: Do you get very many invitations to come to the states and play those kinds of festivals that would be lucrative enough to merit the the time and effort? Never. <laughs> really? Yes, I was afraid Never. of that. No. Okay.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, you it's probably is a, you know, America like anywhere, it's it's you gotta be there in, in front of people to be you know to be in their consciousness, you know, and we haven't been there much. You know, right. we were a like, lot in the eighties and nineties. Mm-hmm. But you know, we broke up for six years, we've been back once or twice since then. But um you know, we haven't been you know, yeah. there for at least ten years now and and you just drop off the radar and it's natural and you know sure. those people aren't Going to just throw out checks that you know, or, you know or just cash at you if you, you know, unless they think they're going to make it back from someone else, knowing you, you know, you're worth it. So yeah. we haven't really been, you know, doing ourselves any favors by being so off the scene.
3: Well, but it, I mean, it's, like I said, it, I didn't mean to make so much out of it, but it is comforting to know that you guys are, are fine. Fo- I mean, you're you're set and you're fine, and you can dictate your own kind of terms where at home, back at home. It's just. As you know, you hear, like you said, you hear this on Facebook all the time. It would be so nice to have the Hootie Gurus come over here and headline a show. It doesn't even, you know. And yes, you've you've remained we like a really respected cult <laughs> act over here. What's that? We'd love to be. We'd love to. Be, we'd
0: love to play on a bill. You know, we would not We don't care about that. You know, we don't care about yeah. headlining. But just, but uh, you know, we we just want to come and play. We'd love to do it. You know, the, the, the three of us are very keen on the idea. It's just uh, you know we have to wait till we. You find someone else you want to join
3: with us. So sure, the yeah. Okay, well that's good. Now, one thing I'm curious about, you mentioned you know, the stumbling blocks around the drumming and, and stuff like that. Are you, even though you're not recording or even playing right now, are you still in your own mind kind of a prolific songwriter? I mean, do you sit on, do you have like a stack of songs that you've been sitting on that, or do you, and I don't mean this to sound critical, but do you, as you've gotten older and you're, you know, you're kind of set now for a while? Does the, the motivation to continue to write and create get w- lower or weaker as you get older?
0: Well, it may do. I mean, I do feel that um, I'm less objective about it, so that's probably,
1: probably mm-hmm. true.
0: Um, I'm ne- I've never been the sort of writer to crank songs out uh, you know, regularly just for the sake of it. I don't break mm-hmm. up and pick up a guitar and write a song. And and I know that's a bad habit you know, in yeah. the sense of uh, you know Warhol, you know saying you're just gonna work, you know, and yeah. and I know when I do sit down and make myself write, think good things happen.
1: But mm-hmm. it's just
0: um, I tend to not write unless I have a, a creative goal. I don't want to just write songs for the uh, yeah. for the ether. I like to write them to know that they're gonna be played and that I have a good. something, a project I want to do. It's 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 weird. Yeah. I can't explain it, you know. So for example, the last album. Uh, which was sixty years ago. I'm nearly seven now. I think it might even be more at this point. Um, it, yeah, I think we an up on album eight. that we talked about for about right. Well, we talked about yeah. for, for uh, you know three or four years that you know we've mm. got to make another album, and I just kept postponing it because I, you know, could never think of what it was for or what I had in yeah. mind. And, and finally, I just got so so bored with myself not having done it. Even like I I knew that in the back of my mind, I wanted it to happen. I just thought, look, all we can do. I just told the, you know, the guys. I said, we just got to book some uh, some some uh, demo time. We've got to book mm-hmm. some video time. Got to you know arrange a producer or whatever. You know, each book yeah, book it in, lock it in. So I've got these um, you know, these targets I can't miss. They're just you know because I'm I'm very good at uh, procrastinating, but I'm also very good at meeting deadlines. So if yeah. I create a deadline artificially, even it works for me. <laughs> right. So and as soon as that <laughs> happened, I you know. I knew we had some demo time coming up, but I had to have some songs for that. So I, you know, I'm always accumulating ideas and small snatches of melodies and things that become songs. So I don't, as I said, finish them and, you know, write all the lyrics and dot all the I's and cross the T's. I don't, I'm not that sort of person. I just don't do yeah. that. So yeah. I, I, I just, I just have like a, you know, a source tape of snatches of melodies and I, I don't, you know, I've completely forgotten them, sure. you know, not long afterwards. Sure. And it's when I, when I have a, a, a creative, project in mind, I'd start going back to it and going like, well, that's kind of a cool riff or that's a really mm-hmm. great melody. I remember writing that. And that's really good. And you sort of, you know, you kind of, then, you, then, I, then I, then I become dedicated and I'll get up and, and uh, right. let from nine till 12 every day without mm-hmm. fail, writing, no, no questions asked, don't allow myself to get up, no emailing or whatever. So, mm-hmm. and, once, and and after about three days, Suddenly you start getting the really good stuff coming out, and yeah. once you get in the flow, it's like then it's a joy, and you're just like you don't want to not write; you just want to keep doing it, and you know you get you're obsessing about it, and it becomes very really creative. So I know that that can happen as soon as I as soon as I press go, but at, <laughs> at the moment there's very, no reason to press go for me, so Got it. I'm just not trying to make
3: yeah yeah. There needs to be an end game out there to motivate the. The effort, and I'm like that creatively too, so I, I can completely relate with where you're coming from. Now, it, let's it, go back. Yeah, it's
0: not, it's, 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 but I think, like, it sounds kind of harsh, but, you know, or something. Or, no, you know, I don't think so. It's very but,
3: practical. But I,
0: I, I just like to think that it's going to be, it's actually going to be for something rather than just, yeah. as I say, you know, wasting my time, you know I mean, I, I get, completely get, agree get, with, with you. It's not wasting time, but I just don't write like that. I just can't. I just sure. I've got to write. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and then of course, you know, the
0: band itself, the band the band itself turns the songs into something real. You know, if, you know, mm-hmm. when I bring them, they're just in a sense they're planned for a song. I mean, that they're, they're I write all the parts of them and arrange, you know, often have you know rhythms and all the riffs and so forth for the other
1: players mm-hmm. to do,
0: or I work them out in the rehearsal room or whatever you know we together. But I I never know in advance which songs will work for the band. I mean, never I never have known that, and right. so you know so. It's another part of the process that has to happen. So, you know, we Got when the band part's taken away, when we're not going to be learning those songs, well, that's even one less stage of creativity gone as well, you know, one sure. more space,
3: should I say. Yeah. Yeah, no, I completely understand. Okay, one thing I had mentioned, I like to talk about sort of the transitions in people's lives. And I know that you guys started in, you know, other sort of smaller, local, probably punkish, you know garage rock bands around Perth or wherever it was you guys sort of formed and grew up but when stone age romeo starts to happen and you know you're hearing like i want you back on the radio or whatever how does your life change i can still recall the time
1: she said she was old
3: go, I'm guessing someone as talented as you has to have thought, from whatever age you became aware of, that you were so talented, this is what I want to do. This is I want to be a musician for a living. I don't want to sit in a cubicle, uh, I don't want to drive a cab. that, actually. What?
0: Uh, well, Tell I, me. I, 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 uh, well, what happened was, you know, music was something that was always around me and, and, my, and my house. My mother was uh, sang on the radio when she was a teenager, you know, which... Obviously, it was nothing that she pursued. She be, right, became a raise a family instead. I was always pretty good at painting and drawing as a kid, and that was the thing that everyone mm. thought I would be known for when I grew up. So my family were encouraging of my art skills, but at the same time, they were very much thinking that you, know, you can't be an artist because that's a, you know they're always famous after they're dead. That was the old you know the old right. saying. So right. they didn't want me to do art, you know, as a as a as a as a an artistic adventure. They wanted me to use it for something practical, so they they guided me towards architecture. Really. So all my life, I was sort of you know yeah. So I was do, you know I was doing painting and you know and kind of indulged at school. They kind of let me get away with murder without with not studying properly. And you know I, I managed to pass mm-hmm. quite easily my subjects without doing all the requisite homework and all the different things. I just was someone could bludgeon mm-hmm. their way through school. But I was always doing music, and I was always had ba- a, a band in high school, and I you know and we used to play the school dances and, you know, other schools as well because we, we were cheap and it's not free and you know, we played all the covers of the songs that everyone liked at the time.
1: And mm-hmm.
0: so I was always doing music and I was writing songs and, you know, obsessed with that, but I didn't know it was what I was going to end up being. I just I was always focused on, you know, that I was going to be an architect and when I finally finished school and went and did and and got into architecture as it happened, I got good enough results to do that. At university, I, I, as soon as I got there, I realized it was the worst thing in the world, but I, I didn't want to do it at all. And I spent that whole year, that, first, that year at university, failing badly, you know, not going to lectures, just being a loser, mm-hmm. just, just as I had done in high school, but I could get away with it in high school, but at university, you can't. True. And uh, at the same time, I was always doing music and playing you know, gigs and doing all sorts of things like that. And so at the end of that year, when I finally failed out of that, that, that uh, course, I looked at myself in the mirror and sort of said, "Well, you know, what are you? You know, you're Mm a musician. That's the reason that you failed everything. You didn't care about anything but music." So that's when I realized, and so I got a job uh, straight away and saved the money to buy some musical equipment because I didn't have any. And the rest, as they say, you know, what I'm
3: here now. Well, thank goodness, thank goodness for the rest of us that you came to that realization. It's funny, I had uh Dom Mariani on here a couple of years ago. Yep. From you know, Dom from the Stems and the all those other bands yeah. that he does. And uh, he reminds me of you. I mean he's a he's an incredible just power pop song writer and yet he's uh you know, his career has never been quite to the same level as yours. So he's still primarily an architect and plays rock oh, and roll, right. you know, when he can. And uh <laughs> It's interesting that you guys are both, you know, same part of the world and uh, have kind of the same dichotomy yeah. going on of two different things.
0: Yeah, well, Don, Don, Don supported us, uh, you know, at the end of last year when we played a gig in, uh, in, in
3: Western Australia. So, um, mm. yeah,
0: and he he played with us quite a lot of times. And, yeah. you know, no, I didn't, but I had no knowledge of him as an architect. So I didn't know, him, you know, yeah, that that, so, he,
3: so uh, he like does, I think he still draws, you know, blueprints or drafts, whatever the terminology is. That's like his main gig, and then he, you know, to pay the bills, but then he does the rock star thing whenever and however often often he wants. So tell me then, when, you know, when Sonya Romeo starts to take off, how does your life change? Do you, um Uh, give me some uh, stories. The first time you uh, heard yourself on the uh, radio, uh, maybe traveling to the States or uh, whatever. Well,
0: well, sure. Well, I'll start quite, I'll give you a little part of the history of how how that kind of evolved for us, you know, because... When we started, we weren't serious. You know, we just wanted to make a band that played the sort of music we liked. And we looked around, because we, we formed in Sydney. I mean, even though I'm from mm-hmm. Perth, I'd moved to Sydney a few months earlier, and, and there were mm-hmm. a couple of other Perth people there that, well, one in particular that, you know, I formed a band with and, and a local Sydney was So the three guitarists, Kimball, Rod, and myself. Mm-hmm. And eventually James joined us from Perth. He'd been in the victim my punk band over there mm-hmm. back in the, mm-hmm. uh, 1977, 78. And we're talking about 1981 now. Um, and, uh, you know, we basically just thought we were going to play occasionally, you know, like once a week perhaps, in a little residency in a, in a small pub somewhere, you know, and have, a, have 50 or 100 friends, you know, fans, whatever, that would make it worthwhile for our regular night. And that was as far as we dreamed, you know, there was no other intention. And mm-hmm. we also thought we'd be playing a lot of covers, you know, that was, as I said, because we had no real, uh, you know, it wasn't a career we were setting off on. We were just making a band of playing music we liked. Um, and as it turned out, we never learned any of those covers. So you know, we started writing songs immediately, and and that's all we ever did. We just wrote new songs and new songs, and without thinking about why aren't we going to learn covers yet? You know, we just didn't bother with, with that just because we were too busy writing the songs. And right. we're quite creative. And and that lineup lasted about eighteen months. We didn't play a show for the first nine months of the band formation because we were both we all had jobs and and uh, you know trying to make pay the extreme rent we had in Sydney and. And, uh, you know, we could only rehearse on the weekends and things like that. So it took us a long time to write our those songs, rehearse up. But eventually, September of 81, we played our first gig. Mm-hmm. Almost immediately, we started to sort of attract attention. You know, there were people that already heard about us, even in the rehearsal space. So we were kind of a little bit of a, you know, kind of a cool band, even before mm-hmm. playing any gigs. And people were interested in seeing what we'd come up with. And we started to... You know, develop a following quite quickly, and you know, we were accepted with a whole lot of other really cool bands starting out that were just, you know, we all had a really cool scene going, and it was just a lot of fun. That was what we call the inner city scene in Sydney. It was like a, a
1: mm-hmm.
0: where, you know, where the, what you call hipsters now, you know, where people that were right. kind of like basically all only interested in, you know, trying to make art, music, fashion, whatever it was they wanted to do. And there was a lot of that going on at that time. You know, it was it was just, as if it was after punk. Scene and there was still that great energy of, of, of you can do it if you feel like it. You in whatever yeah. art form you're involved in, people just had this get up and do it thing. Of, you know, I don't care if they had formal training or not. I was going to, you know, put my ideas into action. Mm-hmm. And everyone was stimulating everyone else. So you know, filmmakers would work with bands and make clips, or you know, fashion designers would you know do clothing or whatever. You know, and that adult, and you know, printmakers would do posters. And everyone was working together and finding each other equally inspiring. So it was a really mm-hmm. incredible time. At the same time, you know, pretty much straight away, I mean, I come from Perth, which is a very remote city, and I'm sitting there right now, actually. So we have, like, the nearest city to Perth is if you go over the ocean, the Indian Ocean, you get to Indonesia, <laughs> or if you go over the, the desert, you get to, you know, Adelaide, which is about 1,500 miles away. so no, uh... um, You know, we have some, you know, obviously, they're a bigger, you know, they're a big, bigger uh, town. Yeah. You know, we call them cities, whatever, but Mm-hmm. You know the, the real sort of urban centres. Nearest place really is you know Adelaide and, and yeah. uh, Sydney, Melbourne, or even further, two and a half thousand miles away. Wow. Um So you know it's a long way, and it, 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 we felt completely like an like an island mentality.
1: <laughs>
0: for me personally, growing up, you know, being a punk rocker as well, I was an island within an island. You know, because the rest mm-hmm. of the Perth people hated that whole idea and didn't want to know about it, and so we just had a very small sort of clique of people that, you know, supported each other in mean, much the same way I was talking about just in Sydney later on with the
1: gurus. And, mm-hmm.
0: you know, we just did it for our own amusement, never thinking that it was going to be ever heard or notified by anyone else in the world at all. And,
1: yeah,
0: you know, we pretty much felt the same way with the gurus later on. So I'll, I'll, but the reason I bring up the Perth story about being isolated was I always, you know, felt aggrieved grief that, that when the artists would tour Australia, they wouldn't make it over to Perth. Mm. Because of the logistics and the, and the, and the, you right. know, maybe a smaller audience as well, it just wasn't worth it. So I felt kind of like neglected, and, and that you know, mm-hmm. if I you know, when I got the chance to play myself, I would never not play for people judging judging them by where they lived.
3: Yeah. Oh, um, good idea.
0: Okay. So 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 so, for example, at what that meant when when we played the inner city scene early on in the band's career. I straight away wanted to go out and play more in the country towns, or you know, mm-hmm. in the other sort of less cool parts of the city, where you know, a bit more, you know, people are less, you know, aware, less, less, less hip, you know, yeah, whatever.
1: Sure, just play to mm-hmm. any
0: audience that wanted to see it, and that was kind of like you know my attitude about everything. I don't judge people right. that come from what their background is, you know, and yeah. So consequently, we 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 started to kind of expand our audience beyond those sort of hipster boundaries, and you know. Started getting a following generally in Sydney, and that translated to becoming a little bit more palatable for you know bigger bills. You know, we get mm. sort of supporting larger bands, and then get exposed to their audiences. We get you know they, they'd put us on because we'd attract a, a core of people that would follow us. Therefore, it was worth having us financially on the right. floor, You know, like on the on the bill. So when you, did you start uh,
3: touring outside of
0: <laughs> Australia? As, oh, outside of Australia it was after the first album. I mean, that was why. It was okay. But you know, within Australia, we you know, outside of, you know, for example, out of our little clique of people in the inner city, our second gig was supporting a band out in, the, in, a, in a country in a, in a big uh, a town outside of the city, like a you know a fairly mm-hmm. working class sort of industrial town. Mm-hmm. Was, that was our first. Um, our first, uh, our second gig was there. So. Right at the get-go, we didn't just want to restrict ourselves to the cool people that we knew and, right. and, um, and and try to appeal to a narrow audience. We wanted to broaden our appeal, not not broaden our sound, but just let people hear it and, and you know, enjoy it if they did. You know, and, and yeah. you know, not, not not decide in advance who was worthy worthy of an audience and who wasn't. As I say, we eventually got popular enough that we started to. Get those sort of support elsewhere, we started to become popular throughout the city. Anyway, we got a little record deal. Someone offered us an independent single, and that's put our fame more fame, a bit more, uh, you know, further along. And we got to Mm -hmm. places again we wouldn't have played before that. So we kept growing organically. And when we were signed up later on, after that first independent single, we got a proper record deal. The record industry was. was Laughing at their sleeves up about it, they just thought it was ridiculous that anyone would sign this this crass band that you know wasn't right. anything like what was on the radio.
1: You know, because at uh-huh. that
0: time was all you know your and you know electro sure. pop, you know from the, from
1: yeah. the very
0: UK based. So you know, Block uh, of seagulls, whatever, and you know we weren't anything like that. We were playing guitars and making a racket that was very unpopular and un- and very much out of fashion.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: they just thought it was stupid that we'd be signed up, and you know. We, we kind of proved it wrong because we were converting people on the ground. So when radio stations, locally commercial stations, were doing their research and playing a snatch of a bit of, new, of a new single down the right, down the telephone to a to a random caller, mm-hmm. they would start striking people that actually seen us in concert and, and liked us and recognised my voice, oh, okay. recognised the song even, and they'd say, yeah, play that one. You know, they'd, 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 which song are we talking insane. about, by the way? Well, early on, early singles, you know So, yeah. you know, My Girl, for example Or, you know, whatever, okay. or Tojo And so we started getting on commercial radio uh, Not just on the, you know the, What you call, like, the independent radio Like college right. radio in the States okay. so We have a whole network of both in Australia as well yeah. but, but we'd get to do commercial radio So it was, even though commercial radio didn't like us They found we <laughs> were accessible to their audience So they played it The same thing, except you know we were doing in concert, in you know door to door. Now we're doing it over the radio, converting people through, them liking our music on on the radio. Yeah. So we kind of just, you know, kept growing and going So when British radio came, out, I'm sorry it's us so long to get there. That's okay. GOS finally came out. We were already quite popular and and was going really well, and we were getting on commercial radio. And then you know it was the band was actually quite big at this point. Oh, and okay. We didn't notice it. We didn't notice it because we you know sort of got. You know, even when the album came out, we didn't get great reviews for it. No one said this is a fantastic record. They kind mm-hmm. of went, oh, isn't that nice? They've got a record out,
2: and it's not too bad.
0: But it was only like a year later they kind of just started to really say, hey, this is a great record. Yeah. But you know, in the meantime, we'd done, we'd, we'd been signed to uh, the US. You know, and we toured there, and right. you know, it, it, it all it was all very organic for us. And you know, we were so Good. busy and playing and stuff. It was you know all about just kicking ass, you know? And yeah, okay. You didn't really notice any one moment that was like, that changed everything. It was like Got it. Okay. always on a, on, a, on a, you know, the big farm.
3: Yeah, okay. Um, do you, did you find that, um, and I think I think this is part of your history, so I think this may be already pretty well documented. Did you find that labels, record labels, probably specifically stateside record labels, didn't quite know what to do with you? Because the band that... Oh, absolutely. Yeah, the band that writes a song as catchy and beautiful as Bittersweet, and then a few tracks later has, like, Hey Ride to Hell on it... What is this band that we're now the people who love you? That's what we love about you is this, you know, wide diversity of uh, styles that go on in your songs. But they are probably trying to grasp on to something and can't find it and don't know what to do with it. Did you find that?
0: Yeah, well, uh, Well. definitely. Well, for a start, you know, the, the American radio is an even bigger, unruly beast than the Australian radio was. You know, it was not yeah. hard to get through to that. But I've gotta say that's funny you bring up this week because that was the second you know, we were on AM Records for our first album, and they were gonna release a second album.
1: You are my sword. Your love is its own reward. My heart I have found gets controlled by the pound.
0: There's a particular A&R person there who had decided he was going to sort of like saddle his, you know, saddle his forces with us, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. he was going to champion us and make us, you know, he was going to bring us to success, and therefore he'd get claim within the company. True. And so he kind of like took us you know, under his wing, so to speak, or more like, more actually, kind of kept up to he kept us to himself.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: he went into the studio because he said, "Oh, that bittersweet, that's a hit, that's a hit record," except. It's wrong. It's not written the right way. What? The chorus takes too long to happen, and you know we've got to do something about that. So he went into the studio and remixed it and cut it up and edited it, you know, without any about input at all. And you know, you know and mm-hmm. uh, he sent us the results and we said that sucks. We don't like it. You're not <laughs> going to put that out. And so immediate. And of course, of course, it did. You know, it made no mm-hmm. you know, stupid his ideas. You know, it, the song is what it is. You can't change that. Right. So he basically was had you know annoyed by that and you know sort of dropped us you know as his little personal thing because we you know rained on his parade
1: Mm -hmm. and on top
0: of that A&M Records itself was doing a big cull they'd signed a lot of bands up for a while and they suddenly decided they had to get rid of a whole lot and I remember specifically what had happened we we supported uh Lou Reed in Australia and he was on A&M Records at the time.
1: Wow. Yeah we came back
0: to when we came back from when we came back from the uh, the first US tour with Spanish Romeos, we came back to Australia. And Lou Reed was touring Australia. We we toured uh, about half dozen shows with him. Nice. And that's you know, it, uh, well yes and no. And, uh, <laughs> I was going to
3: say, do you have any and, stories? He's well, cranky. I'm not really.
0: No. It was just, okay. you know, he's a cranky man. You know, but
3: yeah.
0: uh it was very strange. We, the last concert we did, you know, he hadn't spoken to us the whole time. And then the last concert, we were we were about to go on stage, and we were told Lou will see you. In his dressing room, I and mean, we like, and I was like, going, oh, you know, mm-hmm. I, I don't really want to, you know, talk to Louie. I mean, I'm a huge fan,
1: sure. but
0: the idea of, you know, like paying homage to this guy who's been basically, you know, a rock star and's been, you know, high handing us, high hatting us the whole time, really. Yeah. So, well, you know, but then I thought, well, it's kind of rude of me not to go and show up either, you know. So, so we go in there, we file in, and Lou's like, you know, very Sort of, you know, presidential or something. I don't know what you'd say. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, thanks, guys. You really warmed him up for me. That's
3: oh for no worries.
0: It was like meeting the Queen or something. You know, you shake hands and walk off like in a line. You know, and it was like, yeah. oh, thanks for nothing. You know, <laughs> That the, the best they could say about our music was we warmed him up. for You know, right, <laughs> said, nope, right. So later on, at the same, you know, when we heard, there was A&M records were. Uh, Tossing up which bands to keep Which ones to, to throw away And it was, it was down between us And a band called Swimming Pool Cues
3: From, oh I think,
0: from uh, Maryland or, or North Carolina I'm not sure exactly Okay, around never there. heard of them it's Virginia, maybe, yeah That's right, You've never heard of them And um, yeah. they had an album out you know. And uh, Lou Reed personally said Get rid of the Guru's Keep Swimming Pool Cues These guys are the ones They're going to make it
1: That's enough for us. When the heck this gonna start. Something in the back of my head that's about to break my heart. I can hear the howl in the rear, of the noise that breaks free. I hear the bells ring. The bells ring Something I can never be.
0: Church, and it stings, and the the so we have literally thank for being thrown of A and M records.
2: No <laughs> way. Yeah, oh, yeah.
0: But, man. yeah, really I put it down to that I put it down more to that A and R guy who bungled bumb- it and thought, you know, he was yeah. gonna have to do it. You know, a uh, you know a pop radio staple through his fantastic editing of our song. You know, completely oh, rewriting geez. it. Yeah,
3: mm-hmm. yeah. I was you know getting ready to talk to you. I I have all your stuff, but I was I've been re-listening to it, going back and watching the videos, and it just seems pretty clear to me that no one quite knows what to how to market the Hoodoo Gurus effectively. You know, the video, some of the videos. Well, are yeah, well, Goofy or the. The style, yeah, nothing's quite landing like it should, you know. It's undermining the power, the natural power of your music. It's unfortunate. It's well, like that's it's, true.
0: That, that, that's our own fault. I mean, in the case of the videos, we deliberately chose to be cut ups and not to take it seriously and kind of make these videos that basically made us look kind of stupid and, and ridiculous. And, and for us, that was, you know, keep saying sane, but for most people, that meant that we were kind of. Looked like lightweights and we weren't serious, yeah. and and that's not what we were. But you know, the videos were, you know, mm-hmm. just our way of coping, and not you know because we don't buy into that whole myth. So sure, so uh, trying to make ourselves some sort of you know gods on earth, you know, through the video right. trickery was, was you know, anathema to us, it made us made us revolted. Yeah, but anyway, I can uh, understand that. Let's go to, just quickly after you know bittersweet. I can go to the next, sub, which is a classic case of where record companies didn't understand how to market us, because the song What's My Scene was a huge hit in Australia. So I think hit actually uh, chart-wise mm-hmm. in Australia, you know, in, in the whole band's career. Ain't another thing, I've been wondering less. label there, uh let's mm-hmm. was that you know, release that song as a single and that's saying, No, 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 that's not the hit. That's that's for alternative, that was for college. No. Radio. It wasn't for oh CH, for CHR. Right. <laughs> they didn't think it was right for C H R. You know, and they they may have been right because maybe radio just didn't like the sound of guitars and you know, you know, at that time, you know, so maybe oh, it wasn't gonna work. But the thing was, we'd with the Bangles, and we had a song we'd recorded with the Bangles doing backing vocals, which was almost a throwaway at the time. And
1: Good time. And the
0: Bangles were so great. You told me That was so great on it that we couldn't leave it off the record. We actually wanted to put it as a B side but then once the bagels put their vocals on it was like it was extraordinary what they did.
1: Mm-hmm. And we loved
0: them, you know, and, and so we just thought, Well, we've got to put it on the record now. But of course that became a big problem because the American label suddenly were going, Wow the Bangles are on this track. They're huge right now. We'll just, we'll put that out as a single. That'll be the one for commercial radio, and that'll get the gurus across the line. Yeah. And we kept saying to them, look, you know, you can't, you know, not that, that, yeah. sell us as like being like the Bangles. You know, it's not going to work. If they like that one song, they might not like anything else we do. Sure, But it's not like we're not like that song, and and we we try to try to to get them to rethink orient themselves towards what's my thing but they just kept saying, No, no, you're wrong. You don't know our market, mm. we do and and uh, they were, they were basically classic like guilting us out saying, Please, please don't make <laughs> us not have to hit with this record <laughs> And you know, you got to the point where if we had stopped them, they would have dropped us anyway. We'd already had that experience with the previous album with as say, famous guy thinking you could turn bittersweet into a hit by chopping it up. You know, it was a yeah. thing where you'd get to the point where you actually are down bribing them just by not agreeing with them and, and right. so we had to let them go and you know do what they wanted they did what they wanted good times wasn't here what's my thing was just kind of thrown away you know left you know to to do what it did in college which was fine but yeah. you know it didn't get any any push anywhere else so well one shot on that album to kind of you know break through didn't get any any sort of push so yeah and then of course after that they said well we knew they weren't ready for success. You know, it was <laughs> our fault anyway. Even though they had it done the eye. so wrong. It was, it was always going to be our fault. Yeah, you're yeah. Always, it's
3: always the band's fault, no matter what happens. That um, now, okay. So this brings me to—I have a lot of questions about this period because, first of all, "Blow Your Cool" that was the album when I got turned on to you, and it was specifically "Good Times," which—and maybe a throwaway to you—but "Good Times" and "What's My Scene." I go back and forth which one I love more, and it changes every day. The thing, so I have, I mean, that's one of my favorite albums, and those are two of my very favorite songs of all time. So the thing, though, that I recently learned, because I recently interviewed Mark Opitz, and I read his book before I interviewed him, and you, I would have thought that, Australia's greatest rock producer mixed with one of Australia's greatest rock bands would be A Marriage Made in Heaven, and apparently it wasn't. And I want to, and no, I can only tell you my This perception. is the part where I've got
0: to be careful what I say. Because he's, okay. he's, with, with, uh, he's threatened me with lawsuits a couple of times already.
3: Really? So okay, so you I, you be very careful. Yeah. Or as I And said, by the way, you...
0: things, he wrote, things he wrote in his book were not correct. So, but I couldn't be bothered committing
3: him in the lawsuit because I can't. Sure. It's just you know pointless. My the impression I get reading that book and talking to him is, and you can defend it or whatever, is that you guys kind of went in not really jazzed about working with Mark Opitz and sort of standoffish the entire time. That's the impression that (laughs) that we get. Yeah. Well. We That's not how it went. it wasn't yeah. our
0: choice thats for sure we were kind of you know he wasn't our choice, but we were kind of hoping it would work you know we we, we mm-hmm. came with a positive attitude but but he was incredibly difficult to work with he was not at all a a positive uh person to be around mm-hmm. he he was very very you know it's funny he says we were standoffish i mean we we had our own vibe because we you know we very much spoke our own language with each other you know we were
1: very
0: mm-hmm. you know we were a band of very tight brothers at this point you know and and mm-hmm. hard for someone else to break into that world. But we weren't exclusionary. It was just that he wouldn't have understood half of what we were saying to each other, you know, because we mm-hmm. drew on references that he would never clue about. But sure. that all that aside, you know, he was a very, in a different lifestyle. He 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 liked to it with people and was very mm-hmm. much, you know, it felt to us, you know. But yeah. he was, uh, you know, a bit of a star. and yeah. You know, and he was kind of like, and it was like, and it felt like he felt he was slumming it with us. Mm. And you know, uh, at the same time, he, he didn't understand our music at all; he had no clue. And but and he was also that's a great on. album. He, he do you
3: a, have bad feelings a, about Blow Your Cool? Sorry? Sorry, I sorry to interrupt you, but that I I wanted to establish how you feel about Blow Your Cool because to an outsider, that's a oh, that's we, an incredible album. But do you not like it?
0: We don't like it, no. It was a very difficult album to make. Yeah, no, it was a very difficult album to make. You know, we were slightly at fault. You know, I've got to say we were at fault too, you know, me as a songwriter as well, because, you know, a couple of songs I don't feel I did my best work. You know, I let some lyrics get by that I really shouldn't have. You know, I just kind Mm of... So it it feels to me like we are a little bit in transition there and, and we're going to a place that wasn't so great and on top of that, we were in a place already wasn't great. We worked with someone that we didn't relate to, and he didn't—he yeah. certainly didn't relate to us. So it was very awkward and uh, not a pleasant experience making it. And yeah, for so many reasons, that record sticks in our craw. And you know, it's, it's, of all the records we made, that's the one that sounds the corniest as far as like eighties-ish to me. Mm-hmm.
1: You know,
0: other ones don't I sound any do that. here. It's been like, I, you know. Uh, think, uh, Margie's guitar is probably the weakest-sounding record, but it has some of the strongest songs in, in many ways. You know, but, but it doesn't sound like that one. That one's got, like, the gated snare, like Phil Collins, you know, in the air sort of <laughs> effects. Things like that that were really dated now. And, yeah. and even then, they were kind of cornball, you know? Um, mm. Things like that, you know? it's, it's Yeah. There's, uh, but it's not just production, as I say. I think, you know, we were in a weird spot as well, and, and mm. you know, we've been working really a lot, and maybe we needed to actually take a breather and think. You know, the next... The funny thing is, I, mean, I don't know if you want to talk about that album anymore, but the next album is the one that kind of saved our career for us.
3: Yeah, that's it, So I'm kind of going along What's My the Theme was our
0: biggest hit. Yeah. What's My Theme was our biggest hit, which, by the way, Mark Opus didn't like that song at all. He just didn't understand Ooh,
3: it. Really? Oh, He, thought, so he thought
0: that, and, he's only, and a bit like you read, you know, in the dressing room saying, you know, he really warmed us up. He warmed up <laughs> the crowd for me. His comment about What's My Theme was, you did a really good video for that song, as if that was explanation why it was a hit. you know um, you know because yeah you know I mean that's not right but um, the next you know Magna Come Louder we we basically we got into a big lawsuit with our record label because they weren't paying us royalties and that's uh, a long you know a long process and it's still never been resolved in the sense that we never got that money off them we ended up going bankrupt and we uh, we recently relaunched actually that record label as our own personal label because we bought it off the liquidator so we own it so mm-hmm. we decided to bring it back from the dead and bring, call it our new label. But um, we made that to come louder before we signed a new record deal. We were basically just going to the studio to do demos. In fact, it was a recording studio, a proper one. So uh-huh. we had no intention of making a record. But it, we didn't. But after working with an actor, and hating it. We didn't want to think about a producer, so we just started doing these demos. And I ended up, I ended up producing it. We had Alan Thorne, who produced Sonny's Romeo. But he was the I thought engineer, the stadium was so on there. Was, no, he's not on that album. Not on Make it Come Louder. <laughs> oh,
1: and, uh, I thought he was. Okay.
0: No, no. Uh, so, uh, so we so we started recording, and we ended up just uh, what we thought were demos. We ended up making the album, and so mm-hmm. we hadn't done a demo for anyone. We didn't have a record label. When we when we when won the lawsuit, we ended up signing a new record deal. When the record was being finished, and uh, we showed them into the you know the the, uh, the controller and played them the, the new album. Before they even, you know, they'd signed us up, but they didn't know what they were signing up. Mm. And that was the case from from there on in. We never did another a demo for a record uh, label after that. Mm. We boys just made the album we want to make the way we want it, and uh, then we present it to them, and they sell it.
3: Right. Okay. Now um, that
0: know, was what saved us because that was kind of us going back to basics and making kind of a rawish album,
1: and sure. you know, I mean, unfortunately,
0: we probably. Left yeah, some three of the better songs and put them on B sides, and we could have taken three of the songs off that were on instead. But if you listen to the expanded version, it's kind of a better album for me. You know, well, it's a great I still, album, I still love that
3: album. Yeah, I'm, and you know, come Any Time is another sort of masterpiece. like each one of your albums have this one i hesitate to say this because i'm not saying it's better than the others but there's a there's a song on each one of these albums bittersweet what's my scene coming Time. That's this like shining pinnacle example of what like great power pop songwriting can be maybe you feel stronger about other songs on these albums but there's one there's always just this one that's like the obvious you know, hit or timeless classic. You know who you remind me of from a songwriting perspective a little bit is Paul Westerberg, because right. he can do whatever he wants. He can he has it within him to write these beautiful pop songs, catchy pop songs, but then also messy, formless, scuzzy pop songs if he wants. He does whatever he wants, you know what I mean? And you kind of remind me right. of him a little bit. Uh, well, I'm
0: erratic <laughs> as a songwriter, you know, and, and I, it just comes out the way it comes out, and the band right. kind of sticks and, cho- and chooses, you know, which when sure. work for it, you know, by by playing them, you know, they, they, they sound right or they don't, and that's how we know. Yeah. Um, you know, but for example, like Bittersweet, when I wrote that, I, I mentioned earlier, I, I never know what the band's going to like or not like. I actually thought for certain this song was not for the UDU gurus because it just didn't sound like anything we'd done up at that mm. point, and I didn't see... It just didn't seem like it would work, you know. But lo and behold, got to the, to the rehearsal room and it sounded great. So, uh, you know, what's my scene? That, you know, even though it seems like obvious now that that would be a hit single, and then it, and it was. When I wrote it, obviously I'm just writing another song, and and it wasn't until we played it live the first time we we, we I had to finish the lyrics that afternoon because we, we did like a warm up, uh, you know, a few shows playing some new material before we recorded them. Mm-hmm. which is not something we always do but we did at that time we, we wanted to try that and um, it after the very first performance people just came up to me and asked what was that song about you know the scene that was great you know and mm-hmm. that kind of told us oh okay that one's the one that people are noticing you know we didn't we just thought it as a song you know we liked it yeah. while we were playing it but we don't we don't know you know ourselves what is going to be the thing that grabs someone else from what we're doing sure
3: sure okay so, um, and then Pinky, from, from my perspective, again, as an American fan, that seemed like the last sort of push to make the Hoodoo, the Hoodoo Gurus happen in the States. I know there were more albums after that, but that seemed to be the last one that really got videos that were shown and played on the radio. Am I, do I have that right?
0: Um, I couldn't tell you for sure cause, mm. you know, we were, Obviously we had a big career in Australia And it was just one more successful record for us And in fact some of our most enduring songs are on that
3: Sure, um, I love that a thousand album Thousand
0: Miles Away yeah. that, that song, A Thousand Miles Away Is a song that I always, you know a big hit in Australia a. Been up before the sun And now I'm tired before I even begin
1: Now you're flying I got so much work in front of me really? flying It stretches out far as the eye can see I can see
0: Spend half my life in airports Doing crosswords or attempting to sleep when the bar is open, then you'll often find the warming of seat.
1: Now you're flying I never find a place where I can stay Really flying I'd rather
0: be a thousand miles away thousand miles away So it was a yeah. sl- it was a slow burner. It didn't it wasn't a huge chart match but it just stayed around in people's minds and just kept being played afterwards and it's till this day. It's one of the songs that all played of our old songs, you know. Yeah. And um they would say that's their favourite song I've written. Many people in Australia would say that's their favourite. So mm-hmm. for us it was just another album, you know, and affected okay. what was happening in America, we couldn't always be sure. It certainly wasn't um I think we had people pushing after that on you know pretty hard on records like I think Crank got a bit of you know push. For, if you want to see my perspective on the records, I I've actually yeah. come to see them as a kind of like a sine wave,
3: uh, mm. where
0: we, we we alternate between two polarities, one being pop and the other one being rock or whatever. Yeah, you know, like yeah. More so noisy, obnoxious, you know stuff, and and more polished and and produced stuff. And and funnily enough, the first album is kind of more pop and more you know, trizy, You know, more elaborate uh, parts because we'd been playing those songs for a few years and we sort of, when we got in the studio, we were kind of like kids in the candy shop we just kept on, you know, chucking things on there and trying different synths and, you know, guitar effects, whatever, and just, you know, just playing with sound and the second album, we kind of did more straight ahead uh, and even though it's got some pop songs on it, so, you know, it's never, it's, they're never completely devoid of either polarity, it's just that, for, the, the albums veer between them, so, much more straightforward record, then tend to blow your cool more pop record again, then the mm-hmm. magnum much more rock record, then to kinky and more pop record, then to crank and more rock record. Mm-hmm. And then to in blue cave a more pop record. And then we can keep going. Next you know, we had six years off and then we came back with Max Show that's a more rock record. In fact yeah. the heaviest thing we've done.
1: Yeah. And then
0: to finally to Purity of Essence, which is again, you know, much more elaborate like a kinky or an in blue tape, yeah. you know?
3: Yeah. Oh, that's so fascinating to hear you that because I, I mean I have similar feelings and to know that you sort of see it similarly, that's fascinating to me. I will say it feels it feels to me like from crank on, let's say so purity of essence, but crank and blue cave and Maxow feel like harder harder rock is where you're headed at. Right. That's but, well, I see no, the cave
0: as being
3: a bit more pop, you know? I do. Oh, do you really? That's interesting, because uh, I see it as absolutely. more of like hard rock.
0: Oh, no, no, no. I mean, it's got, it's got. Obviously, as I say, every album has elements of the other on it. You know, it's just that. Right. I, and I think what it is, you know, the reason we have that polarity thing or that, you know, alternating between two poles is because, you know, you do one, one record and you're really enjoying the pop side of it and you're, you're touring on that and you go, gee, I feel like something a little bit more kind of an mm-hmm. angry and annoying, you know, now. So right. you do a record like that and after playing that for a couple of, you know, year and a half or so you know, gee, I wouldn't mind something a bit more, you know.
3: Yeah, Pleasant and appetizing, you
0: know. So, you know, you kind of, you know, because we love what we have, you know, broad taste, so we, you know, we get to explore. But as I say, you know, even when I'm at my most obnoxious, there's still some melody there, you know. for sure. A sense of playfulness, you know. And vice versa in the pop songs, there's a sense of, you know, of muscle and of power underneath that, you know.
3: Without that,
0: in fact, the songs don't work. I mean, they're just simply just... You know, happy uh, sing
3: along songs that become lame to me. Yeah, yeah.
0: Wow. Fasc-
3: oh, this is amazing to hear you kind of recount your your career in a way that makes sense to me. Is really that's so interesting. Do you ever have people sort of tell you what they wish that you were? Do you ever hear from them like, oh, I like the funny songs, or I like the pop songs, or I like the hard no, rock it, songs? No, Do you hear that? No, just like
0: every other artist in the world, we get told, I like your first album the best. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably true. No, no, we yeah, yeah. Um, okay. And I even get told, I like the victims the best, my punk band.
3: <laughs> oh, well, I got to check out the victims then. Nice. about, I I mean, we kind of ran through the whole career, I just uh, Yeah, well, I I mean, for example the the, the
0: six-year gap, I mean, I'll just explain that quickly Um, Yeah, tell me I I was, you know, I was basically about to turn 40, I just thought you know, uh, is this all I'm going to do is be in one band all my life and, you know, do I have anything else and I do have other things I want to do and (laughs) I've slowly been pursuing them in different ways uh, you know, and still am but, you know, it was kind of like also, you, you get take on board this thing. I mean, we're a pop act in Australia, as I said, as I you know told you, we're quite successful. Mm-hmm. And but at the same time, you get all the you know new artists coming along, and everyone's like excited about them. And you become like something that's cluttering up the scene in the minds of a lot of critics and <laughs> other pacemakers. You know, you're kind of like you're a known quantity, and you're kind of still here doing what you do, and really shouldn't you stop stopped by now? You know, we don't care about you anymore; you don't matter. Right. And so you sort of take that on board a little bit, you know. And um, we we thought well maybe there will be a point when we start to become like you know embarrassing and people won't want to see us and we'll just be like you know drawing no people and kind mm-hmm. of be ashamed you know to become a, a mm-hmm. parody of ourselves so I thought let's quit while we're ahead you know and and um, you know I really loved the album in Blue Cave and I just thought well you know that's a great record to go out on let's just stop mm-hmm. now and mm-hmm. so we did we announced it and we, we broke up and and for you know six, six years that we stayed true to that we thought we were going to stay apart but Four years after we broke up we were asked to play a, a big headline, a big concert in Australia, which was all Australian bands. And uh it was a bit of a challenge. It was a con- sort of concert that was kind of cool, all the all the you know, the young hit bands were on that bill always and it was like everything sure. happening in music and for us to headline that was after had never been after play it before, it was like a big deal. And you know. No. So we came out of retirement to do that and the weird thing was the magic was still there. It was like we we hadn't been apart for a minute, really, you know, musically. Mm-hmm. So that kind of gave me a bit of a wake up call that the band was still, you know, alive, just wasn't allowed to be let out of the house. Right. <laughs> so cool. or, the, or the basement, whatever, you know. So, um, yeah. you know, two years later, you know, and I've been writing these songs that end up being Max Shaw and been trying to rehearse them with different people and it just didn't work. They, I couldn't figure out what was wrong with them. I thought the songs were good, but I just couldn't get that feeling that they were, you know, that I wanted mm-hmm. to get. And it wasn't until we started rehearsing with the band, again, when we decided to reform, that playing those songs, suddenly it all clicked, and that was what Max Shaw became, so many of those songs on Max Shaw I wrote deliberately to try and write away from the Hoodoo Guru's style, I was saying, you know, I'm going to make it really obnoxious, and and really hard, and kind of, you know, sort of, I guess, yeah. show off that I could be as tough as the next, you know, obnoxious band, but of course, when the Hoodoo Guru's played, they made it sound like themselves, but those songs were, yeah, definitely written in a different time, and... Yeah. That's why that album is. That album to us, uh, the album I think of most, uh, I don't know if any Led Zeppelin fans would, would probably understand this, but there's an album called Presence by Led Zeppelin. Uh huh.
1: is yeah. the, heaviest Led
0: Ze- the heaviest Led Zeppelin album, and it's kind of the one that people find the hardest to love, but it's same on it's pretty amazing record. Right. And that's how right. Max <laughs> that
1: Show is for me. The record of really. So <laughs> over
3: oh, I could see that.
1: Nowadays, people putting you down, because
0: I love the songs on it, and I do. It's yeah. Some of my favorite songs on that record. Okay. And um, yeah, but you know, but we that that that's probably the hardest we got, and then *Beauty of Essence* is kind of like, I think probably the best album we made. But you know, that's just me. I love that
3: Yeah. So where do the Persian rugs fit into all this? I, because and, yeah, the I, I, rugs I, rugs To be honest, I didn't. I've never even heard of Persian rugs until I started researching you to talk, and you would think I would know about them, but I don't. You guys break up, but then you all sort of reform under a different name and put out similar yeah, sounding music? Yeah, what happened music. was, well,
0: sort of similar sounding. What it was yeah. is that uh, in the Gurus, we you know, always, we, we felt uh, bugged by the fact that people kept saying, you know, you're a 60s band, you know, and, you know, obviously we draw on those things very heavily. We love 60s punk and, and pop and all those things, but that wasn't the whole story. We'd like 70s punk. We like, you know, heavy metal. We like all these different things, And and we just thought it was really narrow the way people would judge our music and my songwriting in particular. I thought that was a very narrow way of looking at it. Um, but the fact that it had really, you know, appetizing melodies or whatever, you know, we, I don't know, whatever, whatever reason, they always called it 60s-ish and it's, yeah. it's just really annoying me. So I did for a New Year's Eve party a couple of years after the band broke up, I did this literally a 60s cover band just for a party. Mm-hmm. And I, I enjoyed it so much uh, that, I thought, you know what, what I wouldn't mind writing some songs like this. And I, and, I, and it also gave me a thought, well, here's my chance to kind of show people what they thought in doing 60s sounds like mm-hmm. rather than, you know, what they think it is, you know. So mm-hmm. I did a deliberately 60s-oriented band for the first month, which is this, uh, as I say, 60s punk thing, the, the Nugget yeah. era style music. If I ever
1: told you I think you're perfection You're perfect, baby Thank you. The sweetest
0: emotions I've ever yeah, i ever I played all, uh, like, a, like one, uh, you know, portable organ uh, and uh, and I ended up, you know, I was working with Brad on this other stuff, because, you know, the these the Max Shower songs that I'd sort of started mm-hmm. writing uh, that weren't working yet. But I said to Brad, do you want to play this the 60s? And he said, sure, you know, because I'd seen Brad, and the first time I met Brad was, or well, I'd seen Brad on stage. He was in a band called uh, Flippin' Super K, who do double gun music, and I loved it because I I knew his other band, uh, which is the Hitman was kind of more sort of like post radio birdman sort of Detroit rock, but okay. the double gun band were completely out of the box, and I loved it, and it was kind of like appealed to me, and that's when I knew that Brad had more strings to his bow than just being this kind of like lunk-headed you know jeans clad, yeah, uh, you know, rock guy, you know, right? He had a lot more lot more colour in his playing, so. He was a natural choice for this band. And we said, well, we need a drummer. Who are we going to get to drum? He said, well, Mark Kingsmore's was not doing anything. We should ask him. He's a great drummer.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So we, and without thinking about it, I asked Mark, and Mark said, sure. So there's three hooded gurus in the band at this point. And then I thought, the penny dropped. I was like, oh, shit, we better ask Rick. Otherwise, you'll get annoyed. You know, like three bands, three of the members leave. Right. So Rick joined, but as it ended up, he was only on the band for for a few, uh, about two months. And then he we did an interview. And then he actually, he had to, he left, he had to do other things, and so we got another bass player in and we made the album. But mm. basically it was, yeah, it was, it was a sort of de facto oh, hoodoo gurus, but with a right. twist being that it was deliberately doing stuff that was literally just 60s style. And sure. in fact, there was one song on, the song on Max Shaw that we did called uh, When I Get to California, which is one of my That's favorite songs. my song favorite album. song on that yeah. album. I used
1: to think I was a Used to think I was fully ground Yeah
0: Wrote that it was written as like a sort of mummers and Tuff, of this kind of 60s folk rock song, mm-hmm. and I, I thought the Persian Rock should play it, and we started rehearsing it. And as soon as we were halfway through playing it, I said, "No, we've got to stop. This sounds like the Hootie Gurus. We can't do this." <laughs> and you know, I, I was quite—I was quite clear in my mind that the two bands were separate, and and, and in fact they were. You know, yeah. did a mean, yeah. gig that one that one that festival I told you about where we headlined. You know, four years after uh-huh. we broke up. I saw that as an opportunity to promote the Persian Rugs we got the as condition of our playing on that bill we got the Persian Rugs from the bill as well so we opened the the day as Ah. the Persian Rugs and then we closed the day as the Huda Gurus but the two bands were quite different uh, musically and and, you know yeah it felt different to me and and we had to be very conscious of trying to make sure that the Huda Gurus didn't infect the Persian Rugs and I, I know it sounds bizarre to anyone else but it really
3: is a real thing to us I got it. I got it. It's a different, totally different strain, different head.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, it felt different. You know, the a different sort of energy to it. Sure, um, of course. You know,
1: and... And, and you in,
0: wanted in to keep ways, them the separate. Rug songs sh- but also, the Persian Rug songs sounded, you know, they were shorter, but they were just as demanding as the longer Huda Gurus song. <laughs> so
1: like, they had a
0: really sort of gruff sort of singing, and they were really high energy. It was really quite demanding stuff, and... Um, yeah. In fact, that was the hardest part of the day for us doing two whole really uh, powerful gigs on the same day. It was pretty exhausting and
3: staying up
0: to the Guru show later on, you know.
3: Right. Right. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I was curious what the story with that one was. Okay. That's coming out again, by
0: the way. We're we're reissuing all of our albums. uh, Are you? Okay. Um,
3: I had to listen to the clips on YouTube. I didn't know how to even get Turkish Delight.
0: Yeah, well, that's uh, that's going to be um, reissued on vinyl. And uh, hopefully we'll get all the albums. Many of the albums should be on uh, streaming platforms in the US now. There's a couple that we're having trouble with because of uh, past record deals, but um, we're hoping to clear those up. But many of our records should be, or will be soon, should be on streaming platforms. So, you know, it's worldwide. Okay.
1: Um,
0: And The Persian Rocks will be one of those, I would hope. But um, we're releasing that that album, Turkish Delight, a complete bonus disc, including the original EP of five tracks, plus mm. another seven songs, something like that, of completely unreleased stuff that were really great songs that nice. we recorded at the same time. That were, you know, we did it, you know, threw on strings and brass sections, the whole bit. So it wasn't done as an afterthought. These were completely finished songs that we had never got around to releasing. Yeah. So uh, it's going to be a double album, double album, and the vinyl version.
3: Oh, that's great. Good. Good. Yeah. So what you can, do, you can do
0: is you can go, on, you can go on to our Facebook. You can go on our Facebook page and we have this thing... Oh, sorry, I do have... Sorry, our net website. And mm. there's a thing called the Hoodugurus Record Club. You can sign up to get an album a month for a year and there'll be every one of their albums in order, uh, including oh. the Persian Rugs uh, album. Plus, uh, you know, the other ones... in Because we have nine studio albums and Persian yep. Rugs makes ten. And then the other two albums are the Electric Soup Best Of that came out in the early mm-hmm. 90s as a double vinyl album and also the Rarities album, Gorilla Biscuits, came out at the same time as a double vinyl album. So that's the complete 12 albums, so to speak. We've more than that uh, in, in our history, but we, you know, 12 is enough, I think.
3: Okay. And are these the... Uh, are they going to be like the remastered versions that you were just talking about that Turkish Delight is going to go through? Are these original? Uh,
0: well, the, well, the original albums, uh, in terms of the uh, they're Australian versions, so the original okay. artwork... Colored vinyl. Okay. Colored vinyl. I didn't know if they and, were expanded um,
3: editions. You had mentioned like no, Magazines, Loudness. Not loud. expanded because they're vinyl. Okay. Oh, like, they're the literal vinyl. vinyl okay, got it. Yeah, yeah, but they're,
0: they're on okay. streaming, the albums are listed as expanded editions. So if you see us on streaming, um, you'll be able to get yeah. them albums. The albums with all the extra tracks, which are B sides and whatever right. um, came out around that time. You know, so okay. yeah, they're, they're available. As I say, everything's going to be on on streaming. As soon as we can. North America is a slight problem, as I found two albums, which is um, Marsy's Guitars and uh, Blow Your Cool. I think I'll two that that we have problems
3: with. Uh, mm. But everything
0: else, should they're be on there platforms now. Platforms I've right been now. listening
3: to them, so it's you're in good shape. I mean, not all that stuff's on there right now, anyway. Right. Okay. So, so all yeah.
0: our albums are on this so uh, You're great. Uh,
3: yeah, looks like it. Yeah, there's Kinky, Magnificent and Louder, and it's expanded editions too. Stone Romeos. Yeah, yeah exactly. Nuxiao. So yeah, everything's on there. Well,
0: we, we only just agreed to this. this only two weeks ago. We previously. Oh, this, wow.
3: Uh, oh, perfect timing then. Yeah, I think okay. maybe
0: in North America we did. We had a, a, a different distributor there, which we, we had some of that stuff, but around the world, no, uh, we, we just done a new record deal with universal and, um, mm-hmm. that included, you know, streaming for the first time globally. So, um, good. we okay. finally got with the program as
3: they say. Yeah, no kidding. Okay, good. Um, all right. So I want to know, I usually close these things out with a couple of the same questions. I want to know if you have any regrets. If there's something, some decision that you made that you're like, oh, I wish I wish we hadn't done that." And then the other thing is, yeah, I for know sure. what your very favorite memory <laughs> is? Good. Okay. So if you feel like it, tell me what tell me what that is.
0: Well, um, obviously regret would be uh blow your cool that we didn't sort of, you know, mm. take our time and 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 get the right producer, and and also you know make sure the songs were were in better shape in my mind, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's one, you know. We've had lots of regrets, really, you know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know
0: we millions of things, really, you know. With some some of the songs we put on albums, you know, we shouldn't have, and songs we released as singles we shouldn't have. Mm-hmm. But you know, at the same time, as I said to you, we've had complete control of our career since our fourth album yeah. on, and we we yeah. had a pretty good control before that but we've had absolute control since then. So any choices that we made were our own or our own fault, and we're happy with that. Death mm-hmm. um, memories, I don't know about the death memories. I mean, uh, you know, in- incredible, you know, things we've done and, and
1: mm-hmm. you we know,
0: still get to do. Um, you know, one that I do strongly think, the memory of going on stage, that show I mentioned earlier, um, about, you know, we've, when we've broken up for four years, Mm-hmm. and that the band was playing, so, was on fire, and, and it just felt so real. That yeah. was a very strong memory, mainly because, you know, up to that point, I'd never witnessed the Hoodoo Gurus as an outsider. I'd, I'd always been mm. in it, and and that magic we had was something that was just in us, and I didn't question it. But having been from it and trying working with other musicians for a few years, and then coming back to the band and then seeing, my goodness, there's something really different about this, mm. it's not just for people up there playing. It's mm-hmm. actually a very strong, powerful, overarching personality there that is the four of us together, like power rangers. You know, we join mm-hmm. up into one super being. Right. And that was something like, you know, it was very clear to me at that moment. And uh, that was a very strong memory. And that's one of my, yeah, one of the strongest things. Another really strong memory, I've got to say, is um, we when we made the last album, Purity of Essence, we had one day in the, in the demo studio where we just learning new songs the first time, you know, just... You know, maybe Brad had a riff or something and you sort of start playing it and, you know, adding things or whatever. And this magic day where everything we touched turned to gold. Every song so nice. we attempted sounded fantastic to the point where we just kept going and going, thinking, you know, without speaking about it, it just was mm-hmm. an amazing sort of communication and creative, creative feeling. And we were so... You no, know, It was almost like we were afraid to break the mood and didn't want it to stop. And we kept going and going, and we finally got to the, the last song. And there was a song um, called, oh, I the song called, Brad's Song.
3: Um, the last uh, one on Purity of yeah. Essence?
0: Loved it, but it was like, you know what? We've just literally, the, the tank went on empty at that moment. You know, we just finished mm-hmm. and it was like, okay, that's done. And we were exhausted, but it was the most amazing experience of my life, that that feeling of, the, of just, as I say, you know, because I, I be, I've i always had this thing where I'd go, you know, in, in demo studios or whatever, rehearsals, have A material, B material and C material. A material mm-hmm. was something I thought couldn't miss. It was a song I thought really the band ought to play and, and I can't see why it wouldn't. B material going like, well, I think it's pretty good, but it may not work, and C material being something that, you know, it was just a riff or something, or just an idea that was really sketchy, and, you know, it didn't mean anything to me, particularly. And mm-hmm. if we had a couple of A material songs work, I would go, well, better try a B material song now, in case it didn't work, because the band would have a certain, certain level of concentration, they would kind of start to drift off, and and the things wouldn't necessarily work. A couple of songs ended up being postponed by an album or two that way because a song that I thought was really good.
3: Oh, really? It
0: didn't work and we tried to, yeah, yeah, that happened. So I kind yeah. of had to start this strategy of doing that and uh, it ended up, you know, to say, like, and then sometimes I'd go, well, gee, that worked too, so I'd have to go to to it or something that I really didn't care if it, didn't, if it if it died, you know, if it, just, right. it was useless. And sometimes that would work too. But, you know, that, that was a sort of strange feeling, you know. Uh, but usually I was right. You know, after a couple of songs the next songs, for whatever reason, which just wouldn't take off and we'd just have to have a break and then come back and try again next day or whatever. But uh, this particular day, as I say, no matter what material it was, any sort of most sketchy idea, the most finished idea, everything just sounded right and it was just perfect and, and you know, just was one of the most incredible memories. Yeah. So between that and that concert, yeah, those are my, oh. my, my
3: two most precious memories.
1: Cool.
3: Okay. Well, good. I, uh, I just want you to know I think you're one of the best there's ever been. And, um, I've been very vocal about it on here. In fact, I recently interviewed, uh, Steve Kilby of the church. <laughs> Do you know Steve very well? Uh,
0: yeah, we've had a testy relationship. <laughs> That's,
3: bad. uh, what we've he kinda, said.
0: Kinda... I, had, I said something snotty about him quite quite early in our career, and he really got offended, and he's never forgiven me. So um, you know, we've never really had any relationship. And it's funny, we yeah. we're neighbors. we lived not far apart. And I, I last time I saw him, I think I failed to recognise him because I'm not, you know, good at recognising people anyway. I think uh-huh. he probably thought that was me stubbing him yet again. You know, I I don't mind Steve Kilby, whatever you know. Go out there, yeah. enjoy your life, you know. You know I right. love
3: you, that's all good. But he, he he definitely got to bug up his ass about me. Oh, it's funny you say that. He has a bug up his ass about a lot of things. Um, But he was so entertaining and just really, you know, brash and unfiltered. I loved him. But I was asking him about his feelings about various Australian or, you know, artists from down under. And I mentioned you and I said, you know, I think Dave Faulkner is one of the greatest songwriters of all time. And Hoodoo Gurus are a really underappreciated band. And he basically said what you just said. Where he didn't give details, but yeah, he was like, oh, I'm not a fan, basically. But uh, it was just funny. To... You can tell he's got a lot of, uh, he's got kind of a, a list that he keeps of people who are not on his good side. Oh,
0: yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's a very long list, actually.
3: I'm yeah. sure he's
0: Yeah. And I think he might be on a few other people's lists, too. <laughs> he might be I, I, on yeah. a few there people's lists. There is no lists, question. Great people to know. Yeah, No <laughs> question. But anyway, but, you know, well, I like, want you to know you that know, I think you're one of the greatest. Yeah. You have to be likable to be an artist, you know? his life to live. And uh, as long as his songs are good, we care.
3: That's very true.
2: There you have it. Dave Faulkner. Love that guy. Love this band. You know, it's interesting. I went into this interview. I, there are really three pressing questions that I was dying to know the answer to. And they're what I've been dying to know the answer to for years. Number one Are you doing okay? You know, are you, are you, still making a living as a musician? Are you able to pay your bills? Number two, why do you if, why do you release music so infrequently? And those are kind of attached to one another, honestly. And then thirdly, why did you really get harder, at, into the 90s and as you went along? Why did you become almost you know more hard rock? Now we have it sounds like differing opinions about what constitutes hard rock versus pop versus uh, you know. Power pop or whatever in terms of the huda Gurus canon, but at least we address these topics and uh, very well And I like I said, I'm just glad to know that these guys get the respect they deserve back home I wish they could come to the States, but they don't and it, I'm okay with that knowing that they're okay I want to close it out with another one of my favorite Huda Guru songs I know that Dave doesn't like blow your cool, but To me personally, and you can take my word for it or Dave's, if you're new to the band, if you were to pick up one album to really get an idea of who they are, that's the one I would pick. And this is track one, Out That Door. And there's a spot at the end of this song where he sings this sort of almost a falsetto kind of counter melody to what he's been singing throughout the song. And it's just beautiful. I open my eyes and it's understood. The way he sings this at the end of this song, It melts me every time. It's one of those magical pixie dust moments in rock music to me. Uh, Now, I have mentioned on Facebook, as you guys probably know, next week is our third birthday, and we have a very special guest. He is one of the most, uh, he's a member of the most commonly requested band we ever get on here. Now, I've said on Facebook who that is, but in case you guys aren't active with me on Facebook, I'm going to leave it hanging out there and not give it away. But, Most of you probably know who this is. And it is a fascinating, fascinating conversation. So happy birthday to us next week with a very special guest, okay? And you guys know the deal. You can find us on Facebook. You can like our page. You can communicate with Yan and I on there. You can send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at thehustlepod. Send me requests if you can. I am built up. A uh, uh, backed up I should say I have like months worth of interviews already in the can but if you send me a name and, and, and I like the idea and I can get behind it and the timing is right I will still try and go after some of your requests and then huge thanks as always to my right hand man, my buddy Yan the man Mokavich, thank you pal for everything you do we'll talk to you guys next week